Tonight's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Some time ago, I I had a conversation with a middle-aged man who felt that after a season of of really intense and rich spiritual growth, things had kind of stalled out for him. And uh, he he had some uh, kind of touching words to describe it. He said, you know, in the first part of my life, I felt like I had a divine calling, like there was a sense of destiny about my life. I felt like God was walking very closely with me, and now it's like he's forgotten me. I don't know what happened, he said. And he wanted to know how he could reconnect with God, and I began to ask him some questions about his walk with God and how he discerned that he was somehow disconnected. And, and he, he said really what, what he noticed was that it was the way that he didn't pray anymore. He said most of his life he'd been trained in a home where he practiced what I would call a quiet time, where you get up in the morning and you read a portion of scripture, you reflect on it, you journal on it, you pray through your prayer list, and you might, if you have time, read a devotional. And he'd done this for many years, and now, for some reason, this was not working anymore. And he felt very guilty about this, and his lack of practicing a quiet time to him seemed to indicate that he was a failure spiritually, and that he didn't know what to do. Well, I think all of us go through times like this, when we feel disconnected from God, times perhaps when we look at the the ways that we have connected with God in the past, and maybe they don't work so well anymore, and we wonder what's happened. Well, Peter is talking to believers that uh, have converted to Christ in a context that made that very risky and upsetting and troubling. It got them no power or status. It actually made life worse. And while we all know that suffering can lead us closer to God, sometimes suffering can make us cynical, angry, uh, disappointed, wondering where God is. And so those are the kind of people that Peter is writing to. And he gives some instruction about how to keep growing spiritually, and, and it's, it's a little counterintuitive. It's not what you would normally uh, expect. He begins not with the souls of the reader, but with the health of their community, which is a different way to think about spiritual growth. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander. And these are, of course, behaviors that destroy community. They're holdovers from the old nature. You remember if you've been here, the first chapter of 1 Peter is about being born again in Christ and the new ways of life that flow out of being born again in Christ. And so here's here's this audience that is struggling to grow spiritually. And the first thing Peter does is step back and say, I want you to look at the quality of your relationships. I want you to look at your people. 
the people that you do life with, the people that you're on a journey with, a faith journey with, I want you to look at the quality of those relationships because the health of those relationships will have something to do with your capacity to connect with God. That's a very different way. Normally, I think we would say, well, let's start with you and your prayer time and how you walk with God, and it's very individualistic. Peter says, no, actually, let's look at the soil your plant is planted in. And he starts off, he says, uh, to put off, or he's using a word for clothing, to, to re redress yourself, to take off malice, which is a, a Greek word for evil. And it's, it's fascinating to kind of dig back in and study this word. Uh, the, the, the ancient Greeks used it for what the gods would do when they wanted to punish someone. The Greek Old Testament would use it for what happens in a community when God's hand is withdrawn. And in the New Testament, it's the evil that lurks in the world uh, as an expression of our enemy who seeks to destroy us. So Peter says, the first thing I want you to do is, is to just do away with all kinds of evil, all kinds of ways that our spiritual enemy is trying to disrupt our community. And then the next four words are all descriptions of what that looks like. He starts off and he says, I want you to put away deceit. And that's a Greek word for baiting a fish. And the idea was that the fishermen would deceive the fish by making the bait look like something it wanted to eat, and the result would be that the fish would be, of course, caught and eaten. And so deceit or deception, the act of practicing or deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth, it's one of the ways that evil infects a community. And again, I don't know, there are probably 300 people that call all souls home. When I say community, I don't mean those all 300 of us, we're not all in community that way. I mean your people, the people that you're going through life with. If you don't have any of them, talk to me, and we'll work on that. But that's who I'm talking about. When, when someone in your people presents themselves to you in a way that hides something about them that you need to know, that is deception, and it disrupts community. You know, if you struggle with an addiction, sadly, this is just part of an addiction, right? You learn how to deceive. You learn how to hide. This happens all the time in relationships. A man or woman start to date each other, and sometimes there's deception. There's, there's not being honest about something that you might not want the other person to know. That happens in all sorts of our relationships. In a healthy community, we feel safe enough to reveal our stuff, to confess our stuff. In an unhealthy community, I have to conceal my stuff. I have to hide from you, and we relate from that posture of hiddenness. And then what happens in terms of relationship? Well, you end up feeling betrayed, right? The next word is hypocrisy, uh, this old Greek word about wearing a mask, of, uh, of pretending to be something you're not, of how you act not lining up with what you say you believe. Sometimes that's very obvious. If you follow sports this week, uh, 
tragic story about a, another great Christian football coach who was known for all his evangelistic tweeting, who at the same time was calling prostitutes on the university uh, cell phone. Um, that's a kind of more of an obvious language of hypocrisy when, when you and I are behaving in ways out there that are inconsistent with what we're saying we believe in here. But sometimes hypocrisy is more subtle. I had a kind of a painful illustration of that. This morning I got up, got up early, went out to get something. I was coming back into the neighborhood, you know, it was, it was, pretty, it was before 8 o'clock, around 8 o'clock. And I got stuck at the park at the stop stoplight, and there was uh, in front of me. There were two cars, and the car in front of me was a was a black man in an old red pickup truck. And when the light turned, the uh, the first car didn't go, and the man in front of me, the black man in the pickup truck, raised his hand, made a gesture out of the car, and and did something angry towards the man in front of him. And we took off drove in, got close to my neighborhood, and he started to swerve. And I could tell he didn't really know where it was going. And I thought, I wonder what's going on here. Well, then he turns into my neighborhood. He goes down my neighbor's street. And this seemed kind of odd. He seemed like he was erratic. He turns around very much in a hurry, parks in a haphazard way in front of a neighbor's house on the wrong side of the street and runs in towards the door. And I, I remember thinking, we've, we've had some break-ins in the neighborhood, and I remember thinking, this doesn't look right. I wonder what's going on here. I wonder if I should walk over there. I decided not to. Go into my study, make a cup, cup of something to drink, go upstairs, look out, and I see the man take a rake out of his truck. And I see him start to clean up debris from the yard. And as the heat pushes into the 90s and I sip my tea in my air-conditioned office, I see him trim hedges and drag garbage and work all morning long without ever stopping. And what was so ironic and painful about that to me is I had judged the man because he was black and thought he might be in my neighborhood to rob us. At the same time, I was emailing someone who's helping me teach a course this fall on social justice, race, and the Old Testament. And all of this took place while I was working on this, this sermon. And the Lord said, want an illustration of hypocrisy, son? Look at you. It's not that I want to be that way. It's just it's so hardwired into my old nature. And I think what Peter's saying is, put that away. It's not consistent with who you are, and it really disrupts community. So is is there any way that you're presenting yourself as something that you're not? Or is there any way that you're acting in a way that's not consistent with who you are and what you say you believe. The third one is envy. Uh, I think we know what that's about. It's uh, 
wanting something somebody else has, having a hard time celebrating someone else's accomplishment because you didn't get it, resenting someone because their life is going better than yours. You know, we can envy a friend's body. We can envy a marriage. We can, we can envy their spirituality, their relationship with God. And it just destroys community because if I envy you, I can't really love you. Because at the root of it is, I want you to fail. And essentially, that's like a curse. Anybody in your life that you're particularly envious of? The last one is um, slander, backbiting, speech that runs down or disparages another person. Now, you know, I find it if you've been around the church for a while, that's a no-no. We all, we all get that. You don't do that. Um, but what we tend to do is devise more subtle ways to do it. <laughs> uh, and one of those ways is, is what we might call triangling. And that is when I have a problem with you but I don't go to you, I go to one of our friends and I tell my friend about you in the guise of helping solve the problem. But what I'm doing is damaging your relationship with the person, and I'm not interacting with the person. That's slander. When a father talks to his daughter about problems with his wife, and they build an alliance against the wife, the wife never gets the opportunity to hear what the problem is. The daughter winds up carrying a burden that she never should be carrying. That's slander. Sarcasm. Root word means the cutting of the flesh. Sarcasm, passive-aggressive way to show your displeasure, to tell somebody off with a little smile and joke at the end of it. That can be slander. So these are all ways that we disrupt our relationships. So you might just take an inventory tonight as you come to the table. It's just any of those uh, Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Are those weeds in the garden of your soul? Because if they are, they're going to affect the way that you relate to God. Now, the next verse takes us in quite a different direction, but I think it's more related than we might think. Verse 2, and I think we have a slide with our verse on it. Do Um, Do we have one in there? Yeah, that just kind of helps us focus there. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up unto salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's a very interesting image. You've got this image of a little baby longing for pure milk, longing for food that nourishes her and helps her grow. And so Peter says, okay, now here's one of the ways that you you grow spiritually. First of all, you make sure that the relational weeds are out of your garden so the soil is pure. But the next thing is I want you to long for pure spiritual food. Well, now what's that? And if I could just hit pause here for a moment, this is where I think we get into trouble spiritually sometimes. 
I don't remember a lot from the days when, when our children were infants and, and uh, feeding this way. Uh, one of the things that I do remember was that if a, a little person is not hungry to nurse, that's a sign that they're sick. And that's a, something to be concerned about. And so the same is true spiritually. If I'm not really hungry for things that nourish me spiritually, if I'm not really hungry for spiritual food, that's a symptom of spiritual illness. And so I go back to my friend. That's why he thought he was sick. He says, look, I just don't have any desire to have a quiet time anymore. What's wrong with me? I must be dying. Well, let's back up. How do you find out what spiritual food is for you? How do you find out what kind of spiritual food nourishes you the most at this point in your journey? Well, Peter says, go back and see when you tasted and saw that the Lord was good. That's what feeds your soul. Can you remember times when you encountered God's goodness and his grace and his kindness? Go back and look at those times. That is where you'll find food that sustains you. And and here's an observation that I'd like to make. Our tastes change over the years. Our spiritual diet can change over the years. The kind of spiritual foods that nourish us can change over the years. And I think we get in trouble spiritually if we begin to feel ashamed or guilty because the food that nourished us when we were 20 doesn't nourish us at 30 or 40 or 50. And we might think that there's only one right kind of food. Go back to this friend that I talked to about his spiritual life. I asked him, I said, okay, so the Christian quiet time, the evangelical quiet time isn't working for you right now. When was the last time you tasted and saw that the Lord was good? And he laughed. He was kind of embarrassed. He kind of felt like he shouldn't say this. He said, well, I was working in England, and I started going to an Anglican church. And he said, I... I just really connected with the liturgy. I connected with the Eucharist. I connected even with the architecture, the formality, even dressing up. I liked the whole thing. And I said, you need to go to Old North Abbey, an Anglican church over near Park Ridge. I gave him a book called Evangelicals on the Canterbury Trail. I said, You've got to understand the evangelical approach to nourishing your soul that you've practiced all these years is a beautiful thing, the quiet time, but it's relatively new in church history. Do you know that up until 1500, almost no Christians had a quiet time? (laughs) Do you know that most Christians in the history of the world couldn't read? (laughs) You know, so uh, devotionals were difficult, (laughs) you know? Do you know that if you are an Anglican, you have a much more communal way of thinking about spirituality that's far less individualistic than, than uh, evangelicals? And for you, Eucharist, liturgy, the morning office, those kind of things, 
might feed your soul? I have another friend, um, very intelligent, very gifted, very learned theologically, reared in a real beautiful Reformed theological tradition, and it's served him well, formed him well, and fed him well. But then some years ago, uh, it started to kind of crack and fall apart on him. And he started to ask questions that he didn't think he was allowed to ask, and he wasn't getting answers, and his faith became, it had a lot of mystery in it, and things like that. And it really started to bother him, and he thought he was losing his faith. And, and then he realized that there are a number of Christians in the body of Christ that are walking a similar journey and have found ways to care for their souls and nourish their souls, even as they're asking questions and embracing mystery and what to do when certainty kind of seems to slip through your grasp. And he's starting to flourish as he changes the diet. There's not just one restaurant, friends, where you can taste and see that the Lord is good. There's, charis- there's a charismatic restaurant where the chef sometimes surprisingly shows up at dinner in different ways. There's a mystical restaurant where you connect him in contemplative spirituality. There's a social justice restaurant where you encounter him in the mystical communion with the poor. There's a Mennonite restaurant where peacemaking is on the menu. There's an Orthodox restaurant where painting icons is a part of your spirituality. There's a Catholic restaurant where monastic traditions inform the way that you you eat. Uh, Goodness, we could go on all night. And I think what I want to say to you is you're not losing your faith if what has fed you all these years is not feeding you tonight. And that it is okay to eat from a different table. Sadly, sometimes this even means that in your spiritual journey, you need to change churches. And I hate that. I hate it when you leave. I take it personally and cry. It's it's all about me anyway, right? And so I hate it. But I remember one beloved person came to me once and said they were leaving, and, and, and I, I felt so bad. And I said, I failed if I were better. And, and essentially what, what the Lord said was, he just needs to eat somewhere else for a while. See, we can't offer you all the food. Don't you think a great restaurant just dies when they decide now they're going to do everything? <laughs> you know, you can't. If you're Italian, serve Italian, right? So uh, I'm just kind of concerned that, that maybe some of you feel like you're failing spiritually, you're far from the Lord because the ways you were taught in college about how to relate to God aren't working anymore. And here's, here's what I want to say. I just want to say, taste and see where the Lord's been good to you. What would taste good to you right now? Right now, for me, it's Kirk Franklin. The boys and I have been listening to that all swim season long. I don't know why. He's a gospel musician, and I don't know. We just blast it out, and we drive around and go to practice, and I love Kirk Franklin. I don't know why. And right now, nature. For some reason, I'm having trouble with my quiet times. But I've been walking a lot, 
And I was taking a walk recently and, you know, trying to be as spiritual as I could and praying the same dumb prayer over and over. And I just like the Lord said, would you shut up <laughs> and listen? Man, there's all sorts of life out there on a trail. I don't have to always be talking. So if you feel a little dry spiritually, instead of condemning yourself, be curious about yourself. I know you. You're not bad. You do seek God. You're here tonight. You want to know him. So if the normal means of pursuing him are not working, ask yourself what tastes good. Let's pray.